Hey, English 11, what is up? This is Mrs. Ford. Guys, I usually record your episode as the second episode every night, but I'm going to record yours as the first episode tonight. So let's get started, everybody. Okay, um, let me see what the time is. At the tone, the time will be uh, 8.08. The date is Thursday, April 16th. Had to click to remind myself. And uh, we're pretty much closing up our chapter one discussion. At the end of every chapter, I want to go over two important things. And the first thing is themes. So what are the themes that we read about? And the second thing, especially in this book, is going to be symbolism. Now, in the only other novel that we read this year was... Fahrenheit 451. And there were definitely symbols in Fahrenheit 451. Um, we didn't really spend a ton of our time on that. But, you know, you had things like fire, obviously, which was, of course, a tool of destruction in the beginning. And then it provides the light in the last scene. Um, you know, we had things like the seashells and technology. Um, a lot of those things were symbolic. So we kind of, we briefly touched on symbolism, but in The Great Gatsby, one of the reasons why teachers love this book is because uh, it is rich with symbolism. Now, when I when I teach symbolism, especially to my non-AP classes, most students will tell me this. They'll say, is it really a symbol or do you, as the English teacher, just imagine or think that it's a symbol? And that's actually a great question. So I want to talk a little bit about that. When we talk about symbolism in novels, okay, so we're specifically talking about works of literature, we are talking about physical objects in the story or actions in the story, or in this case, we're even going to talk about colors. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, you're making this up right when I said colors, but just stay with me, okay? Okay, and the only trick is, uh, the only thing I'm asking you I'm going to ask you one question, and that question is, does the object, does the color, does the action, whatever we're using as the symbol, does it repeat throughout the novel? And if it repeats, all I'm going to ask you to do is I'm just going to ask you to pay attention to it, okay? And this is really important from the jump, from the very, very beginning of this book. The first thing that you're going to notice is this thing at the end of chapter one, which I touched on yesterday, but I want to bring our attention back to today. And it's this thing that Gatsby is looking at. And remember, at this point in the book, we don't know Gatsby. So it says, um, involuntarily, I glance seaward. Remember, it's nighttime. He's just gotten back from dinner with Tom and Daisy. And Nick sees Gatsby at the end of his dock. And it says, involuntarily... I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except a single green light, minute and far away, that might have been the end of a dock. Now, all I'm going to ask you is, if we see that green light at the end of a dock again and again and again, we could have a symbol on our hands. I know you're thinking, well, what if... It's just like a thing, a marker, just like a house or a car. Oh, we'll get to cars later. But anyway, yeah, I think that 
your suspicion and your cynicism is not bad. You, you want to question all these th- crazy ideas that I have. But once the green light starts to repeat, I'm going to ask you like, over and over again. Every time the green light appears, is it associated with something? Is it always tied to the same person? Is it always tied to the same event? Is it tied to a memory? What is it tied to? Every time it comes up, like what is it associated with? And if it's really not associated with anything or just kind of comes up in what seems like random moments, then sure, it might not be a symbol. But if it is associated with something, we have to take pause. And I do not want... I don't want me to be like, oh, guys, the green light is a symbol for blank. Did everybody memorize that? That's really not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want you to figure out what the green light symbolizes. And the answer to what does the green light symbolize? It's not one specific word. It's not one specific phrase. It's, it can be a number of different ideas because this is a work of literature. It's not a math book that has answers in the back. And that is the beauty of it. I think that frustrates a lot of people, but to me, that is the beauty of it. We have to be able to explain ourselves and use the text as evidence when we explain ourselves. And hopefully we will get to that, everyone. But I just want to note that in the beginning, there is a green light at the end of the dock. Okay. The other thing Every With every step I take in this podcast, I just think people think I'm getting crazier and crazier. The other thing I want you guys to notice in chapter one, and in every chapter, you'll hear me talk about this a lot when we talk about symbols, is color. So the green light is our first color, um, but there are two, there are three more really important colors. There's arguably more than that, but these are the three here, there are the three that stick out to me. So we, we already have green. That's number one. So we're going to have four total. The second one we're going to have is white. Okay. So anytime you see the color white, I just want you to pay attention. The third one we're going to have is yellow. And the fourth one we're going to have is blue. Okay. So let's talk about white. And again, if you think I'm crazy, I totally understand. I think that if you if you give the book some time, it might prove me right. That would be my guess. And again, what do the colors symbolize? There's no right answer to this, but as the English teacher, part of literary analysis is just picking up on patterns, what things repeat. So I'm just asking you, anytime you see a color repeat, I want you to note it, okay? So... On page 12, when Nick first arrives, there's a quote at the bottom of page on the bottom of page 12 where he says, "The only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed up as though anchored as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back from a short flight around the house." Okay. So when we first meet Daisy, she's wearing a white dress. So we need to note, of course, first and foremost, that Daisy is being associated with white. Now, is this a coincidence? Yeah, sure. Maybe it's a coincidence. That's fine. I think what you need to do moving forward is keep an eye on, is Daisy continuously associated with the color white? I also want to point out in this specific scene in the movie, 
they have her in an, an incredible white dress. The dress is gorgeous. It has some amazing beading and detail, but they put her in a white dress. You know, the other thing about Daisy is that you just want to picture how she's going to look. Um, let me see if I can get a physical description of her. Um, I, I know exactly what she looks like in the movie, though. Now that I think about it, how do I know she looks like that? Okay, so... We know that Daisy is associated with white. The things associated with yellow and the things associated with blue, we have not come across yet. Okay. Um, so symbolism is one big thing that I want to introduce. And the second big thing I want to introduce that I know I talked about on the first podcast was social class. So, because I want to kind of prep you guys for chapter two. So, so far we have a collection of four characters. We have Nick Carraway, who's going to come from like a well-to-do middle class from the Midwest, and he's in New York City for the summer. We have Tom and Daisy Buchanan, who are the wealthiest of the wealthy. They have polo horses by the age of 30. They own a beautiful Victorian mansion just outside of New York City, and they really move about however they want. And according to Daisy, at the young age of, you know, 30s or maybe late 20s, she said herself She's been everywhere. She has seen everything. Okay. Now we have Jordan Baker who we're not, you know, she's obviously in the social circle of the wealthy, but she herself is single. And in Tom's eyes and the eyes of other men in the book, this sort of um, makes her, what's the word I'm looking for? Not as valuable. So keep that in mind. In the beginning, oh, and then we have Gatsby. And the one thing that you want to remember or recall from our, our episode on Monday is Gatsby lives on the, on the other side of the bay. One thing that you want to think about is the bay, the body of water, the Long Island Sound, it separates these two worlds. And they're, they're both places where people have a lot of money, but the money that they have is different. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, no, Mrs. Ford, money is money. But that's not entirely true. F. Scott Fitzgerald, at least, is trying to make the argument that money isn't money. So having money and stuff is different than having things like access and privileges and um, money that can get you places and get you into very small circles of powerful people, right? So you kind of want to consider that. When we talk about social class, we're not just talking about quantity of money. We're talking about what that money can get you. And if that money can't get you power, then, then you need a different kind of money, I think. Well, I should say, if you're Tom Buchanan, you want your money to get you power, and his does for sure. But this is really what this book is about. It's about the, the types of social class we have only in America. It's interesting in, the, in real life, in the case of the pandemic, like our, in, our inequity is coming to light in a way that it hasn't maybe in a long time. But we, we have billionaires in this country. And some people make the argument that we shouldn't have billionaires. No one human should have access to that much money. But our value system in America says, no, no, no. In this country, you should be able to climb as high as you can. That's something that we as an American people have sort of informally agreed upon. And I think the coronavirus may redefine a lot of our American values right now, or at least like change them slightly. But that's something that you should think about as a young person who's preparing to vote. 
um, is what what should our wealth distribution look like? Uh, should it be regulated? And if it should, how? Those are really complicated questions. But one thing that The Great Gatsby does is it identifies this issue of social class and it examines it. So Gatsby's wealth, Gatsby's rich, but he's not wealthy. And he has a lot of money, but he doesn't have the same type of money as Tom. And that's really a big part of what's happening. Gatsby does live in a mansion, and we're going to get to that in chapter two. And when you go through Gatsby's mansion, hold on, let me just make sure I'm not lying to you. Um, actually, I we're not going to get to um, Gatsby till chapter three. But when we do get to Gatsby's mansion, you want to sort of ask yourself, what is different about this place than Tom's house? And those subtleties are difficult to identify sometimes, but, but if, but Tom is, well, I don't want to, I have to stop there. Okay. The last thing I'm going to say is, okay, social class is a huge theme. When we get to chapter two, we're going to go the opposite direction in terms of social class. So we, in chapter one, we see the super wealthy. We go to the colonial mansion. In chapter two, we're going to go to a place much different than this. And you want to ask yourself as you're reading, like who, what character is allowed to move into what social sphere, right? Who has access to these places? What characters are blocked from certain social spheres and why? And that's really what a lot of The Great Gatsby is about. It's about these, it's about us as America and the walls that we create with money. And those walls are, are still around. I'm sure you guys know that. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The Long Island Sound is a body of water that separates these two very different ways of life. I would like you guys to think about, and maybe I'll put this in your questions for chapter two. I would like you guys to think about what are some, what are some barriers in the real world, in the world that you live in, in the neighborhood that you live in? Like, what are the Long Island Sounds of your life? What is the road that separates one world from another world? What is the river? right? We often hear the phrase, the other side of the tracks, meaning train tracks, right? Like one side of the train tracks lives this way, but on the other side of the train tracks, these people live this other way. Where are those places in your real life? And you want to start to think about those places very critically. Why is your neighborhood set up that way? Why are these neighborhoods set up that way? Who lives on one side and who lives on the other? Do these people ever meet? Who gets to go where? Does somebody get in trouble when they wander into the other's neighborhood? What does that look like? So those are some things I want you guys to think about. If we were in the classroom, we would be having these conversations together. America is all about social class. And it's interesting because you can't, when you talk about social class, so many things fall under that category, which is why it's so interesting. Hey, come here. I have a guest on the show. What'd you say? What goes on? Oh my gosh. Tell my students what you're watching downstairs. Um, uh, Back up a little. Back, there you go, right there. Um, I'm watching this movie called Frozen Sing Along. Disney Sing Along? Disney Sing Along. And what song just came on? Frozen! Which Frozen song? Let it go. Who's singing it? Do you know the actress who's singing it? Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Disney yeah. Sing Along's on. I think I got to go. Should I come down and watch it? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll be back on tomorrow night, and please make sure you guys are finishing your questions tonight. Okay, bye.